Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands uh, as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. Well, I am not very good with pain. I tend to be a bit of a wuss, so it doesn't have to be very cold before I am too cold. I don't have to run very far before the burning pain in my lungs and my feet makes me want to stop. And once I threw up on a nurse whose only crime was to take blood from me. I also keep telling Morag that that I found that childbirth was one of the most traumatic and painful experiences for me, although she never seems very impressed when I say that. I wonder if you ever played those games in in the playground, pain games. Um, You know the kind of thing, kids would fight or chase each other, and then when someone was caught a bit like wrestling, they'd be pinned to the ground 
and then they'd be maybe sat on or punched in agony until they tapped out, until they admitted defeat, until they submitted. You'll have heard from the reading that that theme, submission, is a major theme in this passage. But we need to know this, submission in the Bible is not like that kind of playground submission. It's not a pain game. No, it's part of God's beautiful, ordered creation of the universe. And Paul's really concerned that we understand about submission. This is part of what he calls the spirit-filled life. You might remember back in chapter 1, and I know I'm going back a few weeks now, but back in chapter 1, One of the blessings and benefits of being a Christian is that God himself has taken up residence in you by his spirit. And so what we've been seeing these last few weeks in Ephesians is what it means to live the spirit-filled life. In fact, that's right what Paul is in the middle of saying when we picked it up today. In verse 18, he said, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Fill up on wine, and that's where it goes. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And out from that flows speaking, verse 19, singing, verse 19, giving thanks, verse 20, and, do you see, verse 21, submitting. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But this is not playground submission that that is how we tend to view submission in our culture I think it's something very negative it's something that you get out of someone by force something that they, they give unwillingly under extreme pressure so in the playground my, my so-called friends would sit on my head until they got submission but that's not what the Bible is talking about. Christian submission is something quite different. It's something for a start that we are to do willingly and gladly and, did you see, out of reverence for Christ. In other words, whatever submission we are to give, we do it in the light of Jesus who came as a humble, submissive servant. We're also to submit in the light of all that Jesus has done. Again, we've been hearing about that in Ephesians over the last few weeks. Do you remember? Through the blood of Jesus, God is enacting his great plan for the world. A plan to bring all things together in unity with Christ himself as the boss, the head. And that happens when people are woken from spiritual death... Their sins are forgiven and they're raised with Christ to new spiritual life. And they're drawn into this community, the church. That woke you up, didn't it? And now, as his people, we are to live out this new identity that we have. We're like children adopted into the father's family. And you know what happens to an adopted child or any child. It's quite scary for earthly parents because the children grow to be like the parents. And that's scary for us. But that's what we do in God's family. We are to live out our new identity more and more like Jesus. And that happens in the most down-to-earth, real-life, practical of ways. In marriages, if you're married. In families. In your workplace. 
Paul says part of the Christian life is a kind of mutual submission, submission in all these areas. So we are to be people who love others, who prefer the needs of others, who put other people's wants and desires first. All of us in these different parts of our lives are to have this submissive attitude, says Paul. I wonder how submissive you are in that way. But Paul goes on to say that our submission, it's not identical for all of us. It's not symmetrical for all of us. Now, in in the gospel, in the church, we all have absolute equality. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, young, old, black, white, single, married, male, female, it doesn't matter. We're all equal in Jesus. But we all have some different roles, depending on our gender, on our age, on our position, and so on. And Paul wants us to live out submission in those three areas, marriage, family, and work. So here's number one, marriage. Paul and Rachel had been married for five years. Both of them had high hopes for married life, but now it just felt like a daily battle. Paul felt his wife wouldn't listen to him, didn't respect him, just wanted to harass and hector him to agree with her. And as a result, he felt a growing resentment towards her demands, such that he, he felt he had to fight to get his own needs met and his own opinions heard. He had little energy left for prayer and Bible study for himself, let alone for them as a couple. Rachel, on the other hand, felt unloved, ignored and increasingly distant from her husband he didn't seem to care about her or her needs and she felt that she had to shout louder and louder just to get heard that is a made-up story but it could very easily be real couldn't it how should we as christians live life in our marriages well let me say first of all that whether or not you are married We all have a stake in this. You'll see why. Anyway, Paul addresses husbands and wives separately. Wives first, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should should submit to their husbands in everything straight away you will see this passage is what some people would call a hot potato to some modern ears this might sound backward out of touch bizarre like something from another century but the apostle paul insists that this is a timeless beautiful order which reflects god himself So if you feel like just dismissing this out of hand, maybe you should just pause for a moment before you do. Again, let me clarify by reminding you that the submission that wives are to show for their husbands is not the playground sort. Wives are never to be coerced or pushed or bullied into it. This is a glad and willing submission. Paul says there is an order in which God has created the world. It begins with Christ. 
He is the head of everything. Remember, that's the whole direction of the book of Ephesians and the story of the universe. Christ as head of all. He's the head of the church. But so too, says Paul, the husband is the head of the wife. There's a kind of God-given order to the world, and God has given it to us for our good. And strange as it might sound to some modern ears, the Bible insists that living this way will lead to men and women flourishing. Think about the church. When we submit to Jesus, it's not bad for us. It's the best thing we can do. It's for our good. We are blessed as we submit to him. We receive the leadership he gives, the gifts he gives. We're we're cared for by him and looked after by him and protected by him. And so too, in a similar way, as the wife submits to her husband. That, says Paul, is a good dynamic. It's a place of blessing. It's God's God-given order for the world. Now, it always seems interesting to me that, that Paul chooses not to go into great detail about exactly what this submission looks like. There's not a kind of prescriptive set of rules. So I, I guess we're free to work this out for ourselves in our marriages, if you're married. I read an article not so long ago from a Christian wife reflecting on how she and her husband tried to work out this principle in their marriage. Here's what she said, and I quote, We are both educated professionals who admire one another's skills and intellect and think each other better than ourselves. We've never sat down to work out how it is exactly I submit or that he leads in our marriage. To do so would seem quite artificial. Rather, it's just a natural overflow of our love for one another. However, on my part, there is a willingness to let him lead us and on his part, a desire to put my needs first above his own. It's a healthy application of this passage, isn't it? But anyway, husbands, what does Paul say to us? I I trust that you'll notice that wives were given three verses and we men, husbands, are given seven. Now that may or may not reflect how long it takes us men to learn things. I couldn't possibly comment. Anyway, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Stop there. That is no small thing that we are commanded. If you're a married man, you are to love your wife. And not just with some passing affection. You are to love her as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? So much that it cost him his life. Imagine for a moment that uh, Morag and I are walking down a busy street. A bus is coming and from nowhere I declare to her that I love her. And I'm going to show her how much I love her. And in that moment, in a great and glorious demonstration of love, I throw myself in front of the oncoming bus. Now, at that moment, she might feel a great many things, but I don't think one of them would be loved. On the other hand, if she was stuck in the middle of the road and I threw myself out to save her, dying myself in the process, then that would, wouldn't it, be a great demonstration of love in fact that's a great picture of what Christ does for us at the cross he dies in our place 
bearing our punishment for sin that should have been ours. That is love. It's love with a purpose. Having said all of that, husbands, it's quite easy in one sense, isn't it, to make those sort of grand statements, you know. I won't say it in this direction because you won't like that. But, my darling, I love you so much I would die for you. It's easy to say that. Because actually it's relatively unlikely that you're going to be tested on that claim. But here's the thing. It's no good saying those grand things. It's no good claiming you love your wife so much you're prepared to die for her if you're not prepared to do the smaller things. If you're unwilling to lift a finger to help in the house, in the home. What use is it to to make grandiose statements about your love if you're not willing to demonstrate your love in the small things? Christ's love took him to the cross to die in our place. His love achieved something. It was love with a purpose. And so too for us husbands, our love for our wives is love with a purpose. What's that purpose? Well, verse 26, Christ died to make the church holy washing her with water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives. In other words, Christ died for the spiritual good of the church. And so husbands, not the only purpose, but perhaps the main purpose of our love, that the direction of travel that you, husband, are to set for your marriage is to work for the spiritual good of your wife and your family. And yet in too many Christian families, it's the wife who ends up taking the spiritual lead. Good for her. Someone's got to do it. Too often it's the wife who gets the family to church, the wife who reads the Bible with the kids, the wife who does the regular devotions in the scripture, dragging the husband along reluctantly if if she can. Now, husbands, I stand corrected along with you today, but that is not how it should be. Praise God for wives who do that. Someone's got to do it. But husbands, Jesus says you have a particular responsibility. That's how God has set things up. And if you think that sounds a bit weird or bonkers or old-fashioned, just listen to these statistics. If a child is the first in a family to become a Christian, there is a 3.7% probability the rest of the family will come to know Jesus too. If the mum is the first in a family to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability the rest of the family will follow. If the dad is the first in a family to become a Christian, there is a 93% probability that everyone else in the family will follow his lead. Spiritual leadership in families is to come from us, husbands. Not only us, but mainly us. Husbands, are you leading in a way like this when it comes to prayer in your home, when it comes to church attendance in your home, when it comes to reading the Bible in your home? And then, husbands, how are you spending your your time? Are you investing in the spiritual flourishing of your wife and your family? 
How are you managing the diary? Are you deliberate about scheduling your time for your wife? Time together, yes, absolutely. But also time that will bring you all spiritual benefit. Husbands, there are so many ways that we should be showing love for our wives. Kind words, thoughtful gestures, practical help. Apparently flowers don't go amiss occasionally. But in the main, your love is to be showed with a particular purpose in mind, namely the spiritual good of your wife and your children, if you have them. And remember, your love is love with a precedent, Jesus himself. And lastly, because I'm running out of peace here, we've had practical purpose precedent. Lastly, your love is to be loved with proximity. Read from verse 28 again. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. In other words, husband and wife, you're part of each other now. I try to look after my body. It might not look that way, but I, I try to give it the rest it needs, the sleep it needs. I am very good at giving it the food it needs. Husbands, your wife is part of you now. Are you giving her the spiritual food she needs? And can you see that a marriage marked by that kind of love is a healthy place to be? We don't have time today to talk about every circumstance. I know not every marriage is perfect. Some of you are married to those who don't yet know Jesus. There's all kinds of complications there but can you see what Paul says here is good and good for us that's our longest point by a long way that was Christ-like submission in marriages number two families Susie was 16 she hated living at home with her parents life was one big argument it seemed to her that her parents sole aim in life was to ruin hers as a result, she didn't listen to what they said anymore, especially when it came to all that churchy stuff, and she certainly wasn't in the business of obeying them. She just wanted them off her back. Mike and Emily were Susie's parents. I've been very careful to choose names that I don't think are represented here. I'm not talking about you. Anyway, Mike and Emily were Susie's parents. They had tried and tried, but just ended up losing patience with Susie. There was no respect from her. She dropped out of church. It was a long time since anyone in the family had any energy to even attempt talking about spiritual things with her. That is also a made-up story, but it could easily be true. So what about parents and children? Now, of course, we were all children at one time. Some of us still have living parents. And although there are some universal principles here for how you treat your parents, however old they and you are, I take it Paul is mainly addressing children who still live under their parents' roof. So chapter 6, verse 1, see what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. The principle seems to be this. If you want things to work at home, if you want your family life to be marked by long-lasting enjoyment and good relationships, Paul says, kids, you've got to obey your parents. 
Now, again, this might not be what our 21st century ears want to hear. Maybe it doesn't sound like the trendiest advice, but it's good. And it's for our good. And it applies whether or not your parents are Christians. Unless the parents ask the children to do something which would go directly against God, children should obey. And again, there's a specific focus in Paul's mind. Again, chapter 6, verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, partly this means for children who are themselves in, in the Lord. In other words, this is a part of your new identity, kids. If you're Christians, this is how you should live. But it's more than that as well. Again, you can see Paul is mainly concerned with the parent-child relationship on this whole issue of the parents passing on their Christian faith to their children. You can see that in verse 4. Fathers, and, and notice again the, the emphasis on fathers here, are not to exasperate their children, guilty. Instead, they are to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. For those children who are privileged to have believing parents, here's another reason to obey your parents and to listen to them. They want to bring you to Jesus. They want to teach you the most wonderful, life-transforming news of all. So how should this happen in, in your home? Well, no doubt by example, no doubt by direct teaching or Bible study or in 1,001 informal moments in the life of a family. Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 says it this way. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, Families are to let the message of the gospel permeate in family life. Talk about it. Think about it. Discuss it. Reflect upon it. Write it on the wall if you want. But notice perhaps most of all what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say the main source of teaching about Jesus should come from a youth worker or a Sunday school teacher, or anything at church. These are all good things, wonderful things, much needed things, but the assumption is that children will be brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord, most of all, by their parents. Lastly, number three, the workplace. Chris was a joiner. He worked for a building firm and couldn't stand his boss. His boss was always threatening him with the sack. As a result, he didn't feel much like giving the guy much respect. He enjoyed joining in the backstabbing gossip on the building sites. He did the minimum of work for the guy. He worked slowly. He knocked off early, only picking up the, the pace when he knew the boss was watching. That is a made-up story, but it could easily be true. So what does Paul say? Verse 5 Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Now, Paul is talking about slaves here. Why am I comparing that to the modern-day workplace? Some of you are thinking, I know very well where he does that. 
Slavery in the ancient world was a complicated business. When we think of it, we shouldn't necessarily compare it to the sort of African-American slave trade of recent centuries. In some ways in the ancient world, to be a slave in a good household would have been a good position to have. Ask me more about that if you want later on. But probably the closest thing we have today is a modern-day employer-employee relationship. So in that relationship, and many of us are in that, how are we to live? Well, Paul says, respect those who are over us. We should have sincere hearts. We shouldn't join in with the office backstabbing or the classroom gossip about those who are in authority. It means that if we're asked to do a certain job, we don't see how little we can get away with, but we do it the best we can. Obey them, verse 6, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your hearts. When our boss goes by, do we change what's on our computer screen? When it's time for the annual review, do we fake it, talk ourselves up? God's will and his plans aren't so big that he doesn't care about these little things. He does. Integrity, consistency, working when no one sees it. God is big enough to have a master plan for the universe and yet he's also powerful enough to see every deed and every detail and every action of every person in every workplace and even the motives in our hearts. So to all of us who work under authority, he says work with this kind of integrity. Even if we find our jobs mundane or difficult or frustrating, Our job doesn't have to be anything fancy to impress God. God is not impressed because you're a surgeon. I don't think we have any surgeons in, but he's not impressed because you're highly acclaimed in your field. It doesn't matter to him if you're a banker or a bus driver or a fisherman or a fishing fleet owner. The thing that will please God about your work is not what you do, but how you do it. Your quiet, loyal, hardworking integrity. That's how a spirit-filled Christian works verse 7 serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they're slave or free and if you're the boss if you're the employer rather than the employee it's just the same for you God is not impressed by your status but by your conduct Verse 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. So there's real equality here. Whether you are male or female, husband or wife, child or parent, worker or employer, each has a different role in the way we relate together. Each has a part to play in the master plan of God. And if we are trusting in Jesus to save us, to draw us into God's great plans and purposes for the world, we need to know that he wants us to live this way, his good way, that is good for us. And how we need to pray for his help to do it. We need his help to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? 
Maybe we'll just have a moment of quiet. We can reflect on our, the circumstances of life and marriage or family or parents or children or workplace. What is God saying to us each today? Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know that our desires are often not to submit, but to grasp power for ourselves. Not to serve others, but to live selfishly for ourselves. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us. Help us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ the servant king we ask in his name amen thanks again for listening please feel free to share this podcast and if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favourite podcast app and hit the subscribe button for more information go to burkheadfreechurch.org